Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday and we're here again today, 12 noon, to defend and to promote public education. Now that's public education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. Any child can go to a public school. Nobody can stop them from going to a public school. And it should be public in ownership and control with public-private partnerships. It isn't anymore. And it should also be public in accountability. Well, it's been a very interesting week. And uh, in the next two weeks, we're going to tell you a lot about another country. Because this week, the Chief Executive Officer of Catholic Schools New South Wales said, that um, to even think about really opening up their schools to everybody was um, a fantasy, a think tank fantasy. We're going to talk about the fact that it is not a fantasy because it occurs in other countries and it used to occur here in Australia for 80 years, from 1872 to the 1960s. But unfortunately, because we have state aid for private schools, our, our system is becoming more and more segregated. And there is actually quite a lot of concern about this in all sorts of places, including business people are concerned about it. And we'll be hearing about more of that later. But first of all, we have our press release, and it's 879. State aid for only public non-segregated schools is not a think tank fantasy. The Chief Executive Officer of Catholic Schools New South Wales, Dallas McInerney, has dismissed the former Education Minister Adrian Coley's proposal for radical school funding reform to remedy, to remedy growing segregation in schools as a think tank clickbait fantasy. Debating the issue in the Sydney Morning Herald School Summit on Wednesday last, Mr Pickley said, what separates Australia from schooling systems around the world, including Canada, European and the Nordic countries, is its three-tiered system. We are seeing the greatest segregation of schools, he said. Now, dogs do not advocate Mr Coley's suggestion that private schools be fully funded in order to open them up to all students, disadvantaged students included. Dogs advocate taking over of private schools which cannot be independent and administering them as genuine public schools. If we pay for them, we should be able to use them. That is, schools which are public in access, purpose and outcome, ownership, control, and they are publicly accountable, which our private schools don't fulfil any of those requirements at all. Nor do we agree with McInerney that non-segregated schools is a fantasy. Why? Because, as I've said, it has occurred in Australia for 80 years and the reintroduction of state aid to private schools in the 1960s has led to our current parlous segregation of children and our high levels of inequality. And it is a reality 
in Finland. The World Economic Forum has produced an article entitled 10 Reasons Why Finland's Education System is the Best in the World, and we're going to reproduce it. But for this program, we've got Maddie, first of all, to tell you about um, some of the best of the reasons why it is um, necessary that we follow places like Finland in Australia. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you, Grandma. Time and time again, Australian students continually rank near the middle or bottom among industrialised nations when it comes to performance in math and science. The Program for International Student Assessment, which in conjunction with the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, routinely releases data which shows that Americans are seriously lagging behind in a number of educational performance assessments. Despite calls for education reform and a continual lacklustre performance on the international scale, not a lot is being done or changing within the educational system. Many people are familiar with this stereotype of the hard-working, rote memorization, myopic tunnel vision of Eastern Asian study and work ethics. Many of these countries, like China, Singapore and Japan, amongst others, routinely rank in the number one spots in both math and science. Some pundits point towards this model of exhaustive brain draining as something Australians should aspire to become. Work more, study harder, live less. The facts and figures don't lie. These countries are outperforming us, but there might be a better and healthier way to go about this. Finland is the answer. A country rich in intellectual and educational reform has initiated over the years a number of novel and simple changes that have completely revolutionised their educational system. They outrank the other developed nations, like Australia, and are gaining on Eastern Asian countries. Are they cramming in dimly lit rooms on robotic schedules? No, no. Stressing over standardised tests enacted by the government? No way! Finland is leading the way because of common sense practices and a holistic teaching environment that strives for equity over excellence. Here are 10 reasons why Finland's education system is dominating America, the UK, Australia and the world stage. Firstly, there are no private schools in Finland. This notion may seem difficult for an Australian to digest, but it's true. Only a small number of independent schools exist in Finland, and even they are all publicly financed. None is allowed to charge tuition fees. There are no private universities either. This means that practically every person in Finland attends public school, whether for pre-K or a PhD. The answers Finland provides seem to run counter to just about everything Australian school reformers are trying to do. Well, thank you very much. No private schools in Finland. And the ones that there are are fully publicly funded and they are generally for dis disabled children or children with very, very unusual requirements. But we'll have a bit of a break now and then Oliver will come back with the other reasons why Finland is a place to look to when we think about the future of our educational system here in Australia. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. 
gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, we have been listening before the break to um, what has been going on in Finland and why we should be looking at Finland or indeed all of the Scandinavian countries, if we want to have all of our children in school together, whatever their background. I mean, in Norway, the um, the children of the royalty go down the street to the local public school. That doesn't happen to our Queen's children, does it? No, we are determined to repeat the mistakes of Great Britain and uh, America after it and divide our children along all sorts of criteria, the worst of which is perhaps whether or not their parents have the ability to pay fees. But Oliver's going to tell us a bit more about all of the good things about Finland that we should perhaps be looking to. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. Staying in line with our print-minded sensibilities, standardised testing is the blanket way we test for subject comprehension Filling in little bubbles on a scantron and answering pre-canned questions is somehow supposed to be a way to determine mastery, or at least competence, of the subject. What often happens is that students will learn to cram just to pass a test, and teachers will be teaching for the sole purpose of students passing a test. Learning has been thrown out of the equation. Finland has no standardised tests. Their only exception is something called the National Matriculation Exam, which is a voluntary test for all students at the end of an upper secondary school equivalent to an Australian high school. All children throughout Finland are graded on an individualised basis and grading system set by their teacher. Tracking overall progress is done by the Ministry of Education, which samples groups across different ranges of schools. Regarding the accountability for teachers, a lot of blame goes to the teachers, and rightfully so sometimes. But in Finland, the bar is set so high for teachers that there is often no reason to have a rigorous grading system for teachers. Parsi Salzberg, director of the Finnish Ministry of Education and writer of Finnish lessons, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland, said the following about teachers' accountability. There's no word for accountability in Finnish. Accountability is something that is left when responsibility has been subtracted. Could you repeat that again? There's no word for accountability in Finnish. Accountability is something that is left when responsibility has been subtracted. How interesting. There's no word for accountability in Finland. Poignant. And accountability is what's left when responsibility has been subtracted. So people take responsibility for their actions in Finland. Back to you, Oliver. In Finland, all teachers are required to have a master's degree before entering the profession. Teaching programs are the most rigorous and selective professional schools in the entire country. If a teacher isn't performing well, it's the individual principal's responsibility to do something about it. The concept of pupil-teacher dynamic that was once the master to apprentice cannot be distilled down to a few bureaucratic checks and standardised testing measures. It needs to be dealt with on an individual basis. While most Americans and other countries see the educational system as one big Darwinian competition, the Finns see it differently. 
Salberg quotes a line from a writer named Samuli Aronin, which says that real winners do not compete. Ironically, this attitude has put them at the head of the international pack. Finland's educational system doesn't worry about artificial or arbitrary merit-based systems. There are no lists of top-performing schools or teachers. It's not an environment of competition. Instead, cooperation is the norm. Many school systems are so concerned with increasing test scores and comprehension in math and science, they tend to forget what constitutes a happy, harmonious and healthy student and learning environment. Many years ago, the Finnish school system was in need of some serious reforms. The program that Finland put together focused on returning back to the basics. It wasn't about dominating with excellent marks or upping the ante. Instead, they looked to make the school environment a more equitable place. Since the 1980s, Finnish educators have focused on making these basics the priority. Education should be an instrument to balance out social inequality. All students receive free school meals, ease of access to healthcare, psychological counseling, and individualized guidance. Beginning with the individual in a collective environment of equality is Finland's way. Here the Finns again start by changing very minute details. Students start school when they are seven years old. They're given free reign in the developing childhood years to not be chained to compulsory education. It's simply just a way to let a kid be a kid. There are only nine years of compulsory school that Finnish children are required to attend. Everything past the ninth grade or at the age of 16 is optional. Just from a psychological standpoint, this is a freeing ideal. Although it may be anecdotal, many students really feel like they're stuck in a prison. Finland alleviates this forced ideal and instead opts to prepare its children for the real world. It really feels like Finland is the model that we should all be looking toward. And you can't fit one child in the same box that you're trying to fit every child into. I just really appreciate how they support the individual's education and their hopes and dreams. I just think it's beautiful. Well, they also um, are interested, and I was interested in this in the 1980s when we were trying to get it set up here in Victoria. They have an upper secondary school, which is a three-year program that prepares students for the matriculation. So they draw a distinction between young teenagers and mature teenagers. And that determines the acceptance into a university, but they can always have a vocational education stream as well, which is also a three-year program that trains students for various careers. And they have the option then to take the matriculation test if they want to then apply to university. So it's um, quite a complex and very varied system with a child's future development um, never at risk. Well, we'll have a bit of a break and Maddie will come back with a bit more information about Finland. Just before the break, I'd like to add that um, next week we'll be talking to Mick Lawrence, who's the author of Testing 321, What Australian Education Can Learn from Finland. We had a very interesting discussion today and a lot of it was about the flexibility that teachers have when it comes to students' individual needs. And I think our listeners will find it very interesting. We'll be playing parts of that over the next couple of weeks. We will get down in an interesting day, and we're very, very grateful to you for going to so much trouble to get this interview. And I'm very grateful to Mick Lawrence for, for his time. If anyone's interested beforehand and would like to check him out or check out the book, you can go to www.mick.com 
lawrence.com. That's L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. His website's quite comprehensive and it talks about, um, well, well, you'll find out in the next couple of weeks, but if you'd like to go to the website beforehand, feel free. I'm sure he wouldn't mind the traffic. Okay, we'll have a break now. We'll be right back. Well, let of Scandinavian music, perhaps a bit of greed would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs>
Well, here we are back again talking about Finland, which proves that our desire for a non-segregated public school system that is solely funded in Australia is not a fantasy because it exists. It exists in Finland and in Finland too. All sorts of other things go on and Maddie's going to tell us how relaxed their lifestyle is as the children learn so much such that they are the best education system in the world. Absolutely. I feel like this is a brilliant system. I'm more than happy to share more. Okay, Finns, wake up later for less strenuous school days. It's genius already. Waking up early, catching a bus or ride, participating in morning and after-school extracurriculars are huge time sinks for a student. Add to the fact that some classes start anywhere from 6am to 8am and you've got sleepy, uninspired adolescents on your hands. Students in Finland usually start school anywhere from 9 to 9.45am. How civilised. Research has shown that early start times are detrimental to students' well-being, health and maturation. Finnish schools start the day later and usually end by... 2 to 2.45 p.m. They have longer class periods and much longer breaks in between. The overall system isn't there to ram and cram information to their students, but to create an environment of holistic learning. Because really, you can only focus for so long in one period of time before your brain starts to reject the information anyway. Right, consistent instruction from the same teachers. There are fewer teachers and students in Finnish schools. You can't expect to teach an auditorium of invisible faces and break through to them on an individual level. Students in Finland often have the same teacher for up to six years of their education. During this time, the teacher can take on the role of a mentor or even a family member. During those years, mutual trust and bonding are built so that both parties know and respect each other. Different needs and learning styles vary on an individual basis. Finnish teachers can account for this because they've figured out the students' own idiosyncratic needs. They can accurately chart and care for their progress and help them reach their goals. There is no passing along to the next teacher because there isn't one. So really, it's a more relaxed atmosphere. There is a general trend in what Finland is doing with its schools. Less stress less unneeded regimentation, and more caring. Students usually only have a couple of classes a day. They have several times to eat their food, enjoy recreational activities, and generally just relax. Spread throughout the day are 15 to 20 minute intervals where the kids can get up and stretch, grab some fresh air, and decompress, which I think is so important. This type of environment is also needed by the teachers. Teacher rooms are set up all over Finnish schools where they can lounge about and relax, prepare for the day or just simply socialise. Teachers are people too and need to be functional so they can operate at the best of their abilities. There is also less homework and outside work required. According to the OECD, students in Finland have the least amount of outside work and homework than any other student in the world. They spend only half an hour a night working on stuff from school and Finnish students also don't have tutors. 
Yet they're outperforming cultures that have toxic school-to-life balances without the unneeded or unnecessary stress. Finnish students are getting everything they need to get done in school without the added pressures that come with excelling at a subject. Without having to worry about grades and busy work, they're able to focus on the true task at hand, learning and growing as a human being. Well, thank you very much. Uh, there's just one more thing that I'd like to add about fin- the Finnish experience. Since the Second World War, when the Germans pretty well um, trashed Finland and they had to start and build everything again, they decided that first, before a child could learn anything at school, it had to be well fed. <laughs> so Finnish students are also fed very nutritious meals every day because people know, their leaders know and their teachers know that a child that has not been well fed is a child that will not learn. So um, I think that's a really important point. I work in schools and I go to schools all across Victoria and the food in their canteens is fried food. It's 90% fried food. I go and ask for a piece of fruit and I would say about 10% of the time they have that piece of fruit. It's shocking and disgusting. Yes, well, there you are. Well, we'll have a bit of break and then we'll come back for some very interesting um, views of Australian people towards what is going on here in this country. Councils around the country will put on disability day events and... Quite a few of them will not include people of colour, First Nations people and black people. So I think it's pretty cool that everyone you'll hear on air today will be a person of colour and the majority of them will be people with disabilities as well. I think when we were preparing for this show and for this day, we wanted to talk about how we could explain the concept of power from the margins and why it is that we've chosen to focus on black people, indigenous people and people of colour. And I think... You know, in one word, it's intersectionality. It's the fact that people experience forms of oppression, different forms of oppression at the same time. And most people don't realise that you can't have racial justice without disability justice and vice versa. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, we started off this program, or certainly started off our press release 879, referring to Mr McInerney of the Catholic Education Commission in New South Wales, saying that the desire to uh, have all children in all schools, um, as they do in Finland, to have a non-segregated system and to pull down our three-tiered system of privilege and religious privilege and religious separation here in Australia is a fantasy. Well, I hope we're proving that it's not a fantasy because it happens in Finland. But um, the situation in Australia is actually getting worse because public schools in the next 10 years will be underfunded by $60 billion, while the private will be overfunded by $6 billion. And um, a lot of people, particularly those who send their children to public schools and those who even send their children to private schools and can't afford it, are not happy. 
So there are a lot of comments to the article in the Sydney Morning Herald about Mr McInerney and Adrian Piccoli, and we're going to go to Dale, who will tell us about some of these comments. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, the Novocastrian responded to McInerney's saying that it's just a think tank fantasy by saying, if my tax dollars go to a school based on religious principles, and my kids apply to go to that school, but I do not share those principles. Can the religious school discriminate against my kids and not enrol them? If so, they should not get my tax dollars. And here's a hint. Yes, they can discriminate for both teachers and students. And then Pombo says, If Mr McInerney sees only pockets of inequality in Australia, he is willfully blind. Between a quarter and a third of Australian kids grow up in poverty, and those kids receive substandard education in poorly resourced public schools. Most will never get the chance to achieve their potential to live. Equality of access to good education for all Australian kids should be a principle in this country. But it's not. Alas, both major parties are wedded to publicly subsidising the already privileged at the expense of the majority of kids, happy to turn a blind eye to the social engineering inequitable access to education inevitably entails. And then Hilda says, Piccoli had his chance when he was education minister, but what actual changes did he make in that time? Lots of fine words, but it didn't translate to much real action as far as I know. Public schools remained underfunded, crowded, overcrowded and run down. School staff stressed, unsupported and overwhelmed. Meanwhile, high fee private schools were building new pools and buying more properties and ever expanding. If you want to end segregation, then abolish the selective schools. They are populated by the wealthy and are racially not diverse. Go back to a local comprehensive model where every school is of a high standard. The government is never going to stop funding private schools because if they did, the cost to taxpayers to provide public school places for all those kids would be huge. That's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. We're, we're paying for these children. It costs 14000 at the most to educate a child in Australia and uh, we could do it very easily and save a great deal of money. Yes, I disagree with what she says here because to say that the government's never going to stop funding private schools because it would cost us more uh, is just patently untrue. It's not true, not true anymore, no. It's absolutely That's, not true. That, 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 that actually uh, has hairs on it hasn't been true for about 40 years. No, that's that's right. And, um, you know, to know that our public schools are legislated to only ever actually receive 90% of the school resourcing standard. Uh, Correct. While, while private Criminal. schools are legislated to receive more than that, just goes yes. to show that private schools cost the taxpayer more money right now than public schools do. It's just that simple. So the Novocastrian goes on to say, why do we have to have a religion as an integral element of our education system? It is becoming less relevant and its views more marginalised in society all the time, yet it seems to dominate the education debate, especially the funding. If you want to push some minority, 
increasingly irrelevant view, please fund it yourself. And uh, then Hayes Jimmy said, honestly, I do not understand how private and Catholic schools cannot fund themselves since their fees are staggering. I think that they need to have a good, long, hard look in the mirror. Another idea is that the Catholic Church is one of the richest institutions in the world. So why don't they fund Catholic schools instead of Absolutely. us taxpayers? And then Megaphone says, a three-class school system in Australia leads to who we now have in Parliament as a glowing example of why things must change. Then the truth seeker says, there should be no funding for any school that is not secular. This could be an issue for Anglican, Uniting and Catholic churches. Some of their schools are their only value proposition and source of relevance. The government should not be subsidising the indoctrination of supernatural dogma. Just on that one, yes, on that one, the interesting thing is that the Catholic bishops are very, very concerned that they their schools are really, they're losing their Catholicity um, because 63, only 63% of the children in Catholic schools come from Catholic homes. So why have them? The other 47% um, come from quite different backgrounds. So really this private school system, I suggest, is there for class, not religious reasons. Absolutely. Separation of education and yeah. religion needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. Well, as, as we've pointed out in the past few weeks, it is just another legal extension of racial segregationists. So they're not allowed to segregate our children on race anymore, but you certainly can segregate with a dollar. And that is becoming the new segregator. Well, this is what's happened in the United States. Um, the private school uh, groups, particularly in the South, have resegregated the uh, black children from the white children, and it's, an, it's actually a tragedy. It is. It is. And we bleat on about um, rights and how, how far we've come, and yet in Australia I think we can, we can honestly say, yes, we are a backwater and we're behaving like one. Uh, Absolutely. Why are we taking steps backwards? Shouldn't we be progressing? It's 2021. <laughs> well, it's interesting because of the Dogs High Court case, uh, you know, where we checked on, is it, what was it, Section 116 of the Constitution where no government funding was supposed to go to, uh, towards a position that could be discriminated against on the base of their religion. And so the Catholic Church said, but our, our schools aren't religious schools. And That's right. They spent 26 days trying to prove that they were no more religious than state schools. That's so ridiculous. It's very interesting. And now, and now, and now we find that only 63% of the children come from Catholic families. The Catholic, Catholic parents themselves are walking away from the church schools in droves into the public system or the um, Protestant system. Very interesting. Okay, any more, any more comments? Uh, these are very interesting. People obviously are thinking the same way we are. <laughs> yes, we've got one more comment that we'll mention, and this is from Cole. And he says, I am always sceptical of what a representative of Catholic Inc. has to say. A large, non-tax, paying multinational. Is very, very Isn't true. Isn't that the truth? 
<laughs> very interesting, very interesting indeed. As are, of course, all of the non-proud privates, of all of the private schools that don't pay any tax of any sort. They're all exempt. They're actually taxation expenditures. They're an expenditure on us. But we'll have a bit of a break, and then we'll come back to um, consider how business is concerned about the levels of segregation. Very interesting article indeed. Oh, typical of a man in the Western system. Like, hello, you know, all stories may, may be important, but at the end of the day, Invasion Day, you can't compare that to the First Fleet because Invasion Day was the start of the dispossession, murder, massacres and the total annihilation of some people on a continent that had existed since time memorial. So Scott Morrison, if he really wants to lead this country, he needs to shut his mouth in regards to those comments and really understand that Australia Day cannot be celebrated. It is a day of mourning for our people and they would not celebrate the Holocaust. You know, so I don't understand how that is any different than what our people went through because the genocide continues today. Like, Scott Morrison really needs to take a step back and listen to the voices on the ground because he's really ignorant in my view. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, it isn't just um, ministers, ex-ministers of education like Piccoli and parents and others in the community that are concerned about the levels of segregation and inequality in our education system. Business is concerned. And in, there's a book come out called The End of Aspiration? Social Mobility and Our Children's Fading Prospects by a gentleman called Duncan Exley. And this book explores the impact of social mobility on major corporations and finds that they are concerned because it narrows their ability to source the best talent. So I'm going to get Oliver, who has joined the business community, the banking community, uh, to tell us about this. Thank you, Jean. Unilever Australia and New Zealand Chief Executive Officer Nikki Sparshot is among corporate leaders pushing for the recruitment of staff from a broader range of backgrounds. She says the company wants to create more opportunities for people from underrepresented groups. Diversity and the elimination of bias and discrimination in the workplace helps improve financial performance through innovation, creativity and empathy. A new equity, diversity and inclusion strategy aims to remove barriers in recruitment, she says. It will make managers accountable for supporting all employees to excel and encourage the hiring of staff that were more representative of their population. Very rarely do you have solutions to big problems solved at the boardroom table. It is those people closer to the day-to-day operations that are able to help you find solutions to those problems more quickly, Ms. Sparshot says. We saw that come to the fore of 2020 when COVID hit. We are a relatively flat structure, made even flatter by the reality that is all about how to survive against a crisis, but move the business into recovery and into thriving in the aftermath. 
we needed to bring together cross-sections of people, irrespective of where they sat in the hierarchy or what type of role they did, whether they were in the office or in the field or in a factory, to come together to solve some of the problems that we have. An example of innovative solutions found during this time included a group of factory staff quickly transforming the production of deodorant to hand sanitizer. It wasn't the intervention of senior management that made that happen. It was the will of a coalition in the business who were hands-on about what needed to be done very practically, Ms. Sparshot says. Unilever has also introduced programs designed to boost the self-esteem and job preparation skills of school students. In an interview with this masthead, Exley said that growing segregation of students from different socioeconomic backgrounds in Australia and the UK was a recipe for disaster and part of the reason for lower levels of social mobility. He says there is a danger that uh, that people, including those who go on to become policymakers and company executives, would not get to know and understand others from a different social strata if they did not mix with them at school and in the workplace. He says OECD data has shown that children of blue-collar workers who attended schools in which they mixed with the children of white-collar workers were twice as likely to get a university degree or enter a professional management occupation as similar children who did not have the opportunity to mix. The potential of schools to widen children's opportunities appears to depend largely on whether they create social integration, he says. Just as the most skilled teachers are concentrated in schools where the children least need them, so are the children who could otherwise act as friends and mentors to the non-privileged children. The most obvious way in which privileged parents can buy their child a place at an exclusive but non-fee-paying school is by buying their way into the right catchment area which inflates local housing costs and thereby drives less affluent families out. Victoria University Education Research Chair Professor Stephen Lamb has studied the effects of segregation in schooling on education outcomes. There are independent effects which suggest that segregation has an impact independently of everything else on the progress of kids in schools and what happens to them, he says. It is also likely to have an impact on shaping career aspirations because it is related to the peers that you connect with in schools that these things are partly shaped, as well as the neighbourhoods and communities you engage in. Emeritus Professor from the University of Western Sydney for Educational Research, Margaret Vickers, is among Australian academics who have warned that increasing segregation in schooling is making it difficult for teachers to achieve a good educational education. The New South Wales government has opened 21 fully selective high schools and provides gifted and talented streams in other schools to compete with independent schools for enrolments and top HSC results. Increases over the past three decades in the proportion of students attending private schools has contributed to greater segregation. More and more of the classes that are being taught in ordinary non-selective schools have fewer and fewer talented students in them, and it is becoming harder and harder to pull them up, Professor Vickers says. If you end up being in one of the lower-ranked ordinary comprehensive schools, you have got far less opportunity than you've had in the past, and you are much more likely to end up with a less advantaged life. We are seeing a larger proportion of our population having fewer opportunities and having lower career aspirations. A growing lack of opportunity is also felt by young people seeking their first employment opportunities. It can take several years to get a secure job after leaving school. That is so different from two decades ago. Professor Vickers says, research released by former school principal and education researcher Chris Bonner for the Centre for Policy Development, an Australian think tank, found high achievers were increasingly concentrated in the most advantaged schools. 
Laura Perry, Associate Professor of Education Policy at Murdoch University, has researched the impact of segregation on education outcomes and says that narrowing who, who you connect with and rub shoulders with within a school is going to have long-term consequences. Mm-hmm. If you are in a school with future pilots, you take part in conversations that you may not have been exposed to otherwise, she says. But where that is removed through selection and segregation, and you are only mixing with those who have limited chances themselves because of their disadvantage, then that tends to compound the consequences. Those with more limited opportunities are not as likely to do well at school, are less likely to complete school, or more likely to get a lower ATAR, which could limit post-school and further education opportunities. This flows onto the types of jobs you get, salaries, and chances of being employed or unemployed, Dr. Perry said. Well, isn't that interesting? Very. Um, and it's just common sense, isn't it? And in Finland, of course, they don't make these mistakes. Uh, Australia and our politicians who are taking the money from our public schools, underfunding them by $60 billion in the next decade, and giving private schools $60 billion that they don't need, they have a lot to answer for, and we should hold them accountable because they are denying their responsibility. It's so obvious that it's it's just an attempt to maintain the status quo. There is no functional social mobility in Australia. It's just that mm-hmm. simple. Absolutely. Well put. Thank you, Dale. Well, we'll have a bit of break. And that's, uh, it's, it's not been entirely happy. And let's come back with a good news story because Maddie's got a really good news story. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm the proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. A good news story. Some of our listeners may have been there in the 1990s when we had to fight for our state schools that Mr Kennett was closing down. And we won some and we lost some. But about a decade later, they had to, they had to uh, fight the same battles in Canberra and also in Tasmania. Because in Tasmania, you've got lots of little hamlets, particularly down in the south and the southwest. And they fought for their schools and they won. And now there is a little school down there that is going great guns because of this. And Maddie is going to tell us about it. Thank you, Grandma. All right. For Penelope Smith, multitasking is a necessity. Miss Smith is a teacher at Natone Primary School in Tasmania's northwest. It is one of Tasmania's smallest schools with 26 students split into two classes. She takes the grade three to six class. She is not your average classroom teacher. Miss Smith is also the school principal and music teacher. You could say I'm pretty busy, but I really love it, Miss Smith said. 
I really like the engagement with students and staff on a day-to-day basis. And I also really love the fact that you prioritize the administration tasks that are really important to students' learning, she said. She also said the benefits of a small school to a child's education were clear. As a classroom teacher, you can spend more time giving individual support to individual children, specific to what their needs are. You can do that in a larger class, but in a smaller class, you have a bit more time to spend on that. Natalie Brown, the director at the Peter Underwood Centre for Educational Attainment, agreed that there were advantages to small schools. One of the biggest advantages of small schools is that they are very close to their community, so parents tend to be much more involved, Professor Brown said. Positive engagement of parents in learning is something that is really powerful in education. That's really powerful and extends learning beyond the school gates. Ten years ago, the future of Tasmania's smaller schools was in doubt when in a bid to save money, the Labor-Green government slated the closure of 20 small schools, 16 of those primary schools. It sparked the Save Our Schools campaign led by local communities. Natorin and Collinsvale Primary Schools are two of Tasmania's smallest schools. Collinsvale Primary School Association Chair Malcolm O'Day joined the 2011 protests. It was a time of a lot of uncertainty, that's for sure. We had planned our daughter's schooling the year before and all of a sudden we didn't know if it was going to be at this school or not, Mr O'Day said. He said a lot of parents in the community thought the same way. The school is sort of the hub of the community, so it was fairly important to a lot of people that it stayed open, he said. Since 2011, school closures have occurred. Those decisions were made by the communities involved. But 10 years on, some still believe the closure of small schools is a discussion that needs to be had. Independent economist Sol S. Lake said it remained hard to prove whether the high running costs of small schools impacted the educational outcomes of students right across the system. But it is unarguable that Tasmania spends more per government school student than any other state, and despite that, achieves poorer outcomes, Mr. Eslake said. That isn't specifically because we have a higher than average number of small schools, but because small schools mean that a relatively bigger part of the education budget is absorbed by fixed costs, such as the cost of a principal or providing ground staff that are spread over a smaller amount of students, he said. Well, they don't get all upset about all the money that they give to private schools, do they? (laughs) They're not any pinching there, no. No, no. When we say we can't close this school or else the town will die, Are we putting children's interests first or are we actually giving greatest priority to the interests of adults? Professor Brown said it was important not to underestimate the value of small towns in the fabric of society. Some of these communities are really important to Tasmania, she said. Farming communities, other communities that are contributing to Tasmania and to the economic prosperity of Tasmania. We are all equipped to protect our school. Collinsville Primary School student Rex McDonald is one of the beneficiaries of the Save Our Schools campaign. He attends the school with his little sister Audrey, who is in kindergarten. 
The school has 52 students and employs three full-time teachers, plus one on a part-time basis. Another three specialist teachers work there one or two days a fortnight. It's just like a really big family. Everyone looks out for each other's kids. It's lovely, Rex's mother, Nicole McDonald, said. We've got a really strong family connection to the school because my husband went there and so did his siblings, so it's really special. Rex's teacher, Larissa Reason, is new to the school but has worked in even smaller schools before. Not many teachers would know how to use a fire pump, but she does. The teachers here on our pupil free days at the beginning of the year all learned how to use the fire pump, she said. If the fire brigade can't get here, we are all equipped to help our community and protect our school, which I think is really important. She said while small schools had advantages, there were also challenges. You don't have other teachers on the same level to compare the curriculum or to compare your class with, which at times can be a little bit worrying. Getting relief teachers is a challenge. If someone is sick, it can be really difficult to fill that body, which is a way which can impact us at times. Professor Brown said another challenge small schools face was a lack of specialised subjects and programs. But the pandemic has given them confidence to experiment with technology, something that is already benefiting small schools. During COVID, we actually found out that we're pretty good at using technology and coming up with innovative ways that we can collaborate and we can work with each other, Professor Brown said. Miss Smith said technology had proven to be a powerful tool. We had a grade six student last year who worked with a teacher based in Hobart. That student really flourished with that opportunity. The NBN rollout is complete, but Miss Reason said gaining internet access could still be tricky in rural Tasmania. On days like today, our internet is down, so it doesn't always work that way. Well, there you are. That's a very interesting story, isn't it, about the importance of small schools. And I think it's very interesting that Saul Eslake, the economist, wants to penny-pinch for public education, and so did the Labor Green government 10 years ago. The um, gentleman who was the Green candidate was a, uh, a real estate agent, as I recall, from the Eastern Shore, and I sometimes wondered about him. How can you be a real estate agent and the Greens candidate? <laughs> I'm I think you have to know a little bit more about Tasmania because the, the actual um, conservation movement started there in, with the middle, the middle group of um, Lion's son, actually, uh, but it was taken over by Bob Brown, yeah. who came from New South Wales. But um, I think that's about it for now. And uh, Dale's still got her good news story, so we'll be back with that next week. Uh, and also, I'd just like to remind our listeners that this week is the subscriber drive. Um, if you want to keep 3CR independent and on air, please uh, become a subscriber. There's all different rates. You can call 94198377. And you can also go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. And it's now more important than ever to keep independent media going. So Very true. That's it for the dogs this week. It's bye for now.
dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw your hill last night Alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.